I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Hey, Mr. Binks, you know I love a good book about dogs. And so you can imagine my excitement when a book about bull terriers, just like your sister Prudence, hit my radar. So I'm so excited to be jumping on Zoom to talk to CBS news correspondent, Martha Teichner, a fellow bull terrier owner, about her new book called When Harry Met Minnie. Hey, Martha, thank you so much for joining A Dog's Life. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, you know, it was quite funny. Just this morning, out with my bull terrier, Prudence, this lovely lady cooed over her and said, you know, that there are dogs and then there are bull terriers. And I just kind of <laughs> smiled to myself because I thought, does she know that <laughs> I'm going to be speaking to Martha Teichner, CBS news correspondent of many, many years, and of course, author of this amazing book that I learned about from Radio 4 a couple of weeks ago when you were on, do you remember with Nikki Betty on Saturday Live? Yes, I remember that a lot. And I had uh, to get up at 2.15 in the morning. Did you? Gosh, I guess you did. It was, yes, because it was 9.30, <laughs> our time, right. How could I forget? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't have forgotten that either, but I just bought the book straight away, and I must say I've so enjoyed it. And people listening might be thinking, so why did you enjoy it, Anna? Well, it is an amazing fairy tale story of a love affair between two bull terriers, but actually it's so much more than that, isn't it, Martha? Well, I think it is because uh, I think it's about friendship. It's about um, building community in a big city because New York is a very big city and people don't realize that it's a little collection of small villages and can self-made communities. And it's also about New York. It's a kind of a Valentine to New York. Yes, New York is one of the characters, most definitely, as, as a backdrop. It's interesting because it all really centers around a chance encounter in a farmer's market with a very old dog acquaintance or dog walking acquaintance you had that you hadn't seen in years, right? Right. Uh, well, he had moved away um, for for months and months and months, I used to see him every day. This is uh, someone who had a great big, very fluffy golden retriever named Teddy. And I would see this person and Teddy uh, when I would walk my two bull terriers, Goose and Minnie, uh, along the Hudson River in something called Hudson River Park. And he knew my dog's names. I knew his dog's name we didn't know each other's names because that's kind of how it goes. It really is. He disappeared and I didn't see him for a year or two. And then all of a sudden uh, on July 23rd, 2016, there he was at the Union Square Farmer's Market on a Saturday morning. I go there virtually every week with one or more dogs. And at that point, Goose had died and Minnie was very sad and I was very sad. And I was there after coaxing Minnie to go because she, I really struggled to get her to go anywhere. And I looked up and there was Stephen. I learned his name um, in the conversation I had. He pointed at me and said, where's Goose? And I told him that Goose had died and um, he 
pulled out his phone and showed me a picture he had taken, you know, when we were dog walking. And it was a picture of Goose and Minnie that he had sent to his friend, Carol Fertig, who had a bull terrier. And he said, well, you know, my friend Carol, who has this dog, Harry, uh, is dying of liver cancer and nobody wants Harry. Um, Carol is, is more concerned about what happens to Harry than she is about herself. Would you take him? And I just stood there and, um, you know, it's sort of, you feel funny all over th realizing that something big is about to happen. And um, uh, I said, um, I, you know, it sort of came bubbling out of me. Well, if they get along, maybe. And um, so then he introduced himself, I introduced myself, and he, it, he set in motion every single thing that happened in the book. And if I hadn't been where I was at exactly that moment, and if he hadn't been where he was at exactly that moment, none of it would have happened. And what was weird about it is that I had never seen him at the farmer's market before in 20 something years of going there every Saturday, just about. And I've never seen him since at the farmer's market, except when we took him there to film a story for, for CBS Sunday morning where I work about the book. So it was a chance encounter that was critical to everything. And it was almost like, in, in retrospect, it was like being nudged into place by fate. Well, uh, I was wondering that, Martha, do you know how you feel about that? Because it's kind of super spooky and, and you've had other coincidences happen to you. Yes. Um, Really all my life, I had a, a, an instance of that um, in northern Michigan, where I was from, where I, uh, through a whole bunch of circumstances, a change in day and uh, uh, fiddling around with the time that uh, friends and I went to see the house where I grew up. And, and lo and behold, if we hadn't gone at exactly that time, we wouldn't have seen the people who live in the house now, and they wouldn't have explained that land that that uh, had been part of our land when I was growing up um, had maybe been for sale. And that set in motion a whole chain of events where I helped save uh, a whole lot of the land that our family had once owned on a lake in a woods um, that was um, going to be desecrated in two weeks had I not accidentally through a chance encounter just walked into an opportunity to do uh, something that again I felt as if I were destined to do um, in being instrumental in, in saving this land and even the dog that I have now Gurley um, about an hour and a half after having my last bull terrier put to sleep on New Year's Day I got a text from one of my vets saying, um, look at this beautiful, sweet girl Chrissy found yesterday in Long Island City. Chrissy is one of the, the, the uh, receptionists at the vet. And it turns out that a beautiful female, three-year-old, roughly three-year-old bull terrier sort of dropped in my lap literally an hour and a half after um, I had had my other bull terrier, um, Slinky, put to sleep. And um, it just keeps happening to me. I don't know why.
It's extraordinary, but maybe, you know, you, you put it out there, Martha, you know, because having been a news correspondent for CBS, you've, you've been around, shall we say, you know, you've experienced war zones, you were there 9-11 reporting live, I believe, and that kind of was almost full circle in a way with Carol, because apart from I guess you knowing a bit about Carol because she owned Harry, because if dogs are like their owners, right? But there was another aspect connected to 9-11. Well, um, Carol lived in downtown Manhattan, almost next to Ground Zero. And on the day of 9-11, she was way uptown. And at that point, she had a um, uh, bull terrier named Violet. It was before Harry was born. So she ended up walking back home and getting in and, and taking care of Violet. She talked her way past the National Guard and so on and so forth. And then uh, for you know months after that, there was like a toxic soup in the air uh, because of the the fires that continued burning for more than 150 days after 9-11 at the site. And years later, what happened was that she developed liver cancer, uh, terminal liver cancer, and it was determined that it was because of 9-11 and living uh, around there that, um, that she got sick and ultimately died. So shocking. And it's kind of proof, really, isn't it, that air pollution isn't good for you, you know. But she was stoic, Carol. I mean, do you think she reminded you of a bull terrier when, when you met? Because this, this chance meeting with Steve and Teddy led you to become friends, but in a kind of a strange vacuum where you knew there was going to be one ending that maybe wasn't what you'd like when you start a friendship, but there was such a close bond that developed between you all because of this dog, Harry. Well, at first I kept thinking, what's she going to be like? Um, I know she's dying. Am I in for a, a, an excruciating uh, meeting with someone who is is obviously dying and, and something terrible and sad and so on? But when I met Carol, it wasn't like that. Um, I instantly liked her. I found her funny. I found her brave. I found her um, interesting, well-read, and still very much engaged in life, even though she only had months to live. And I immediately felt as if, oh, if only I'd known her for 20 years. And I'm one of those people who makes judgments about who I like right away. I know if I'm going to be friends with somebody almost instantly when I meet them. And I just felt that bond with her. And maybe it was because of bull terriers, but I think it was because she had a, an incredible gift for friendship. And she was just an incredibly interesting person, kind of larger than life. And, and you mentioned, was she sort of like a bull terrier? In a funny way, I, I think so. I mean, you you have a bull terrier, so you know there's a certain kind of, they're subversive, they're funny, they're stubborn, they're smart, they're too smart for their own good. Um, they get bored easily, and boy, if they get bored, they get in trouble. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that every bull terrier has either an appreciation for that um, in a funny, perverse way, or is like that 
themselves. And Carol was kind of like that. Again, there was a certain kind of flamboyance and theatrical quality about her. She was very tall and and people just turned and looked at her. She wasn't beautiful, but she was striking. And she liked, I think, the attention. Um, and she just had a lot of personality and she had a lot of style as a designer. She designed clothing, she designed furniture, she designed for literally a who's who of the kind of luxury brands in the world and furniture, clothing, stationery, home accessories, jewelry, you name the company. She designed for them or did brand strategy for them. And all of that made her a fascinating person. And I don't know, I just, um, I was so completely drawn into her world as a, as a, a personality that I didn't think about her dying, but over time it began to overtake her. But I treasured the times that she brought Harry over and that Stephen came along and so on and so forth. And we'd, we got to be friends. Uh, we got to be close friends. And I was with her when she died. I know, I know. And it was a journey, though, between Harry and Minnie. And, and and at times in the book, you know, I was holding my breath, really, knowing what bull terriers are like, thinking, gosh, I hope this really works out, because they both had their quirks, right? Like Minnie loved her mangoes. Harry, of course, had his boot, which is the bit that really got me in the book, you know, because Molly, my first bull terrier, had feet like Harry's. And um, she wore a boot on live television a few times on various things that we did together because her front feet cracked just like Harry's. So, really? you know, yeah. So all those moments in the book where the boot turns round and you took the boot off on the beach and so on. I must have given any spoilers away here. And but you know, it resonated so strongly with me, Martha, I've got to say. But do you think in an uncanny way, the dogs actually knew what was happening? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know in terms of Harry's perception of what hap was happening with, with Carol. In terms of meeting Minnie, it was as if he was waiting all his life for Minnie. Um, he had always been described as sort of difficult. He had some anxiety disorders. He was on all kinds of anxiety meds and so on. And he had chronic colitis and all kinds of things that made him a tough sell if you were um, trying to convince somebody to adopt a dog. And he was, by Carol's admission, a quote, money pit. But um, when he came to live with, with Minnie, it was as if he'd been waiting all his life for Minnie. Um, and Minnie, um, in a sense, um, changed his life. And he adjusted very well. And pretty soon, we were able, the vet and I were able to wean him off all his medication because he stopped having colitis and he calmed down and so on and so forth. And I said to the vet at one point, why do you think Harry is adjusting so well? And he said, Minnie. And it's as if um, they really were a love match. And um, in that sense, I think he understood a great deal. But in terms of, of I, I don't know whether he um, perceived that Carol was sick. I suspect he might have because as she got sicker, she was in bed more and she didn't have strength. And, and who knows, maybe she had a scent, a cancer scent. I don't know, because dogs certainly can be used to detect 
illnesses um, if they're trained, but I think that he was able to adjust to, to leaving Carol and coming to me because of Minnie. Yes, and and in a way, Minnie so benefited from Harry because she was a little bit of a prima donna. I imagine Minnie a is being <laughs> a real whirlwind. I think Minnie, and she came into your life quite by almost fate, right? Well, um, I uh, used to take my previous bull terrier before Harry. I took Goose to um, a sort of pet boutique around the corner from me called the Barking Zoo. And, and, and sometimes Goose would be very lazy and not want to go out, not want to walk. So on weekends, I would march him down to the Barking Zoo and he would actually cooperate and go. Anybody who knows a bull terrier knows that when they don't want to do something, they <laughs> don't. They yes. just, I think when they, they lower their center of gravity and get heavier, Oh, when yes. they refuse. They're really good at refusing. And I, it always reminded me of these, these Citroën, these old Citroën cars that when you would get out and turn off the ignition, they would kind of deflate. And I know the ones you mean. Oh, yes, it is like that. They they do have moods, bull terriers. But uh, other people, like the American Kennel Club, you know, describes the bull terrier Martha as a toddler in a dog suit. Oh, absolutely. Um, but a very stubborn one. But anyway, I took him to the barking zoo to get him his treat, which was the incentive. He knew that if he on Sundays or something, that if he Saturdays or Sundays, if I headed toward the barking zoo, he would get treats. And so when I got in the door, this was on a Sunday, they said, oh, are we glad to see you? And I thought, uh, why are they so glad to see me? And I said, <laughs> well, you saw me yesterday. And they explained that one of their customers, um, a wonderful kind of flamboyant woman named Coco McPherson, who was a reporter at Rolling Stone and a customer of theirs had come in and she had been volunteering at a kill shelter in Brooklyn, and she ran into a bull terrier that was filthy and skinny and so emaciated that it was, you know, uh, you'd think that she might die. And um, she said, um, what's a purebred bull terrier doing here in the first place? Spay her. I'll be back in a week. I'll find a home for her. And she already had three dogs and two cats in a small New York City apartment. So she went to the Barking Zoo and said, do you know anybody who wants this dog or would take this dog? And they said, oh, we know a woman with a big, sweet bull terrier. Maybe she'd <laughs> take her. And I said, well, I don't want another dog. I have enough trouble with just one. And they uh, said, yes, but this dog really needs a home, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, okay, I'll talk to the woman and maybe I'll foster her. Well, the following Saturday, um, Coco McPherson brought the dog that became Minnie, and I brought Goose to the Barking Zoo, neutral territory, and they met. And within the time that, that we were in the store, I probably spent, oh, I don't know, $500, and so did Coco McPherson. And we brought the dogs back to my apartment and took Minnie to the vet, and I spent another thousand or two dollars because um, the, the shelter had botched her spaying and she was incredibly infected and, and ill and so on and so forth. And she weighed just barely 34 pounds after a week and a half in the shelter and her normal weight was around 50 pounds. And so she, I kept worrying that she would still die. And she became 
Minnie the diva, Minnie who thought she was a glamorous movie star and maybe a princess. Yes, yes, I, I know that look. Bull Terriers take to that, Martha, very well. But she and Harry, what a chapter, Martha. I mean, did you think ever it would become a book? Well, not initially. Uh, initially, when I met Carol, when Stephen brought her and Harry over for the first time, it felt as if something special was happening and I didn't want to forget any of it. And so I started writing diaries um, because um, it, you forget things very quickly and you think you remember the details, but you really don't. And I thought, well, if I write these down and, you know, sort of after every meeting, keep the details and, and so on, then I won't forget. And over time, this took on a kind of a narrative arc, if you will. I mean, someone who's, I tell stories for a living. So it, it felt more and more like a story. And a couple of months into the, the meetings and the, the socializing and the, the romance between Harry and Minnie, um, I happened to be at Carol's apartment and she wanted me to see Harry in his natural habitat, she said, and so on. <laughs> and I was there talking to her and I said to her, how would you feel about me trying to write a book about Harry and Minnie and this whole experience? And I said, I won't do it if you're not happy with it because this is your dog, this is your life, this is your death and you might want privacy. And she kind of put her head down and thought for a while. And she kind of looked up finally and said to me, I would be honored. And um, I was really relieved. And of course, I had never written a book before. And so I didn't know what I was talking about. And um, <laughs> then she said, oh, do you think it could have pictures? And I said, sure. And uh, again, I knew nothing about the process, but that made me double down on the diary keeping. And I started being very detailed because I knew that I was going to try. And I felt justified because the, the experience was really enriching and it was it was funny as well as sad. I mean, I knew Carol would die in the end. I knew that if I took Harry, I would be taking him on for the expensive, sad part of his life. And that someday I would be the one who had to decide to, to have him put to sleep. And I knew that going in, but I did it anyway. And all of that and all the adventures along the way sounded like a book to me. And um, off I went. And it's it's interesting to me that you've found that bull terriers have been your constant through life. My dad used to say the hair of the dog cure has got nothing to do with hangovers, but it's got everything to do with mending your heart. So the old fashioned way would always be when your dog died, you know, you've got another one. Otherwise, you might delay for too long. And really, the joy of bringing another dog into your life can help heal your heart. Because I want to talk about Piggy for a minute, because Piggy lived in London, didn't he, Martha? Your first bull terrier. Piggy lived on three continents. Piggy was, he's a story in and of himself. Um, I've often thought about, I did a lot of writing for myself about Piggy and thought if I write a book about him, it would be called Spoiled City Dog. <laughs> I got him in South Africa. I fell in love with the breed because I did a story many years ago on a South African winemaker named Jan Bolan Kutsia, 
who has a winery called Friesenhof. He was once a very, very famous rugby player in South Africa. And then when he retired from rugby, he became a winemaker. And he had a bull terrier named Petrus, not named after the wine, but it's an Afrikaans word meaning hard place, which I assume had something to do with stubborn dog. Anyway, <laughs> I fell in love with Petrus. And when we were doing the story on Jan Bolan Kutsia, who worked very, very hard to revolutionize the, the conditions for non-white workers on wine estates in South Africa. Anyway, I fell in love with Petrus, who, who would come and sit on my feet and so on and so on, and lean on me. And so when it came time in South Africa for me to get a dog, because I had a garden and that was walled and I had someone to take care of him during the day when I was at work and uh, I wasn't traveling so much, I decided I had to have a bull terrier because I loved Petrus. And eventually when it came time to move back to London in 1989, when my time in South Africa was up, uh, everybody said, well, you can't take that dog. You're going to be traveling all the time. So I cried all night, made the decision to give him away, and then nobody wanted him. They said, well, we don't want a bull terrier who sleeps in beds and cuddles, and we want a watchdog, and so on. And he was not a watchdog. And so uh, I was actually very relieved. And I thought, well, if I get him to the UK, no matter what, even if I have to give him away there, there will be people with a different attitude about taking him. I knew he would have to be in quarantine, but he went into quarantine. I found a place to live. And then I set about trying to find a dog nanny. So I went to nanny agencies. I went to au pair agencies. And the nanny agencies sort of laughed me out the door. The, the au pair agencies were very, very suspicious. And I tried to explain to them that taking care of one bull terrier is a whole lot easier than taking care of four kids. And um, they would say, well, they're supposed to learn English there. And I said, well, you know, they can learn English talking to me. It's, it's not a matter of talking to a dog. And little kids don't teach um, English particularly well either. Quite. So finally, I, I convinced an au pair agency that having a dog au pair was a thing, that it really could happen. And so I started in 1989 when Piggy got out of um, quarantine having a dog au pair. And I've had dog au pairs from that day to this. And Piggy lived in, in London uh, for five years. I could sit in my office. Um, I, my office was in Bowater House, which is not there anymore, but it, it was right next to the Hyde Park Hotel and it overlooked the park and was a hideously ugly 1950s early post-war building. And I could look out my office window and in the afternoon see my au pair walking piggy through Hyde Park. And it was really, it was fun. It was like spying on him. And um, then after my, my spell in London that time, my five years was up, I brought piggy to New York. And uh, so piggy had the rest of his life in New York. So um, he lived on three continents and he had quite a biography. Oh, amazing. Do you think Piggy liked New York more than London, Martha, or about the same? <laughs> That's not fair. That's a fair <laughs> <question>. <laughs> I love New York, and I think people that live in cities are a certain 
type, dare I say. You know, I, I spent um, a couple of years in what I call the Shires here in, in, in Britain, uh, not that long ago. And I came back to Hackney, where I, I love to live in London. What do you think about cities? Bearing in mind, New York is a character in When Harry Met Minnie. People in cities, are they different? What's your preference or are you a lover of both country and town? I'm a lover of both. I I grew up in the country and loved it, but I absolutely adore cities. And London and New York are, I would say, my two favorite cities for different reasons. I mean, living in London is very different from living in New York, but certainly living in New York, what you encounter is people who they like the, the variety, they like the diversity, they like the, the bumping up against all kinds of people and adventures and, and um, oddities and, and communities and so on and so forth. And certainly living in New York, it, it's colorful, it's, um, it's sometimes harsh, it's um, beautiful, it's, um, uh, there are characters all over the place, and I just adore that. I like the stimulation. I like seeing things happen. I mean, one of the things that, uh, speaking of oddities in New York, when Piggy came to New York, in my neighborhood, a block away from me, someone had a pig. And uh, <laughs> the, the pig's name was Hoover. And uh, um, when Piggy got wind of Hoover, even if he, Piggy could tell when Hoover was out, even when he was in my apartment with all the doors locked and the windows closed. And he would jump up and down and get crazy and wild. And I would have to take him out. And he would pull me around the block until he could find Hoover. And then Hoover and Piggy, the pig and the dog, would go on a walk together. And there were a couple of outdoor restaurants in my neighborhood. And it could take an hour to get Piggy and Hoover past those restaurants because of all the people saying, ooh, um, is that a pig? And they were close friends, Piggy and Hoover. And, you know, that doesn't happen in the country so much. But it, having it happen in the city where you have the, the whole kind of theater of public life in New York, more so, I think, than in London, because I think people live more privately uh, visually, privately in, in, in London. Uh, but New York, it sort of spills out everywhere. And I often thought, where else but New York um, would a pig and a dog go on a walk together and, um, in a sense, perform um, outside um, uh, outdoor restaurants um, on, a, on a nice warm summer night? Incredible. I absolutely love it. Like his namesake, the real pig. <laughs> Going back to the book just for a second, Martha, I caught a little wind in the book, just a little wind of something that I'm particularly interested in. It was one day you were walking Harry and Minnie over to the farmer's market and you were kind of thinking, I wonder if they communicate to each other telepathically. Oh, I'm convinced that they, they must have because they, they didn't, it, it's, um, they would kind of do a one-two punch um, whenever I was um, uh, trying to um, figure out, you know, what what they wanted and so on and so forth. If they were demanding something, um, one would come and bark, and the other one would reinforce it. And um, it, it was like they had had a a, a telepathic discussion before um, working on me. But that I really believe that they were telepathic. 
Yeah, no, me too. I'm very keen on that. I, um, when in one of my podcasts, I interview this amazing biologist, you may have heard of him, Martha, called Rupert Sheldrake, who investigates telepathic communication between dogs and their owners, which is, is another story. On the subject of telepathic dogs, when I would go away for sometimes weeks when I was based in London, mm. um, my au pairs would always say to me, uh, when I got back, well, well, I knew you were coming home today. Yes. And sometimes I wouldn't tell them. Sometimes I wasn't able to tell them. I would just come home from whatever war it was I was covering. And I would say, well, how did you know? And they said, on the day that you're coming home, Piggy would go from his usual sleeping spot on a, on a, a, a couch in the living room to right in front of the door. And he would lie at the front door until I arrived. Amazing. Every single time I came home. Well, this is what Rupert has studied. And indeed, I totally believe that. Isn't that fascinating? And equally as well, that links in with emotional intelligence. I know that's something that's very close to your heart in terms of animals having emotional intelligence. And in the book, you really make a point of highlighting that when Minnie did something really quite remarkable, if you like, for a bull terrier, when, you know, when Harry collapsed. Oh, well, a few months before... Uh, well, actually, not even a few months. It was about a month and a half before Harry died. I was in South Carolina with both Harry and Minnie for Christmas. And I have a house there on, on an island. And I had, it was nice and warm out. And so I had the back doors open, um, with sliding doors to the porch. And then the porch door opened to go down to the deck. And all of a sudden, Minnie came racing up the stairs and started barking at me and barking at me and barking at me. I thought, what, what's this? She doesn't do that. And so it was insistent barking. And so I followed her and she ran out to the porch and ran down the stairs. And there at the bottom of the stairs at the deck, Harry had collapsed, um, just spread eagle on the steps. At that point, he was having more and more and more trouble with his hind legs and, and um, uh, his ability to walk. And Minnie was crazed because she saw that Harry had collapsed and was hurt. And so I went down and I picked him up, you know, sort of hoisted him up. And Minnie would not leave my side, just stayed there with me, just inches away from me when I, I supported him and got him up the stairs and righted him in, um, on the porch. And she was frantic. And she came and notified me um, because she wanted me to come and save Harry. Yes. And that, of course, I agree. If that isn't emotional intelligence, then, then what is? But it's only been in the last 10 years that scientists have really credited dogs to have such intelligence, which is crazy. Well, I think it's crazy, too, because there are all kinds of stories over many, many years about dogs who find their way home or dogs that help other dogs that they're friends with uh, and free them and so on and so forth. If they're caught in fences and do all kinds of things to get somebody's attention to help their friend, whether it's a human friend or there's recently somebody who collapsed in their apartment um, and the dog dragged the person over to where the phone was. Uh, it was um, uh, on the news in the United States. And I believe that, that people underestimate dogs terribly. 
Yes. No, me too. Definitely. Oh gosh, Martha. I mean, we could talk and talk, but I, I just love it that someone of your great <laughs> caliber and, and intelligence and broadcasting skills and acumen has opted for the dog, I must say, I think will always also be the constant in my life, the bull terrier, as there is never a dull moment, is there, Martha, with a bull terrier by your side? <laughs> oh, absolutely not. And you never know what they're going to pull next. And uh, as I say, if they get bored, look out. Yeah, that's it. Well, I just so recommend When Harry Met Minnie to all of my listeners. It's easy to, oh, there's, there's, <laughs> there's Gurley saying, yes, buy the book, buy the book. <laughs> How can they buy the book, Martha? <laughs> well, it's published in the UK, so they could buy it pretty much anywhere where they buy books. Exactly. Fantastic. And I really hope that one day, if you're in London, I'd love to introduce you to Rupert Sheldrake, who studied dogs that know when their owners come home, and maybe take a walk on Hampstead Heath together, or even oh, be in a radio studio. That would be even better. <laughs> well, one of these days soon, I'll be able to come to London again, which I usually do on a fairly regular basis, but lately have not been able to because of COVID. I know, I know. Well, hopefully now there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's been the most extraordinary you know phase of our lives um, well, um i like to say that my book is kind of like um the good cry that that um you feel like having as an antidote to covid isolation and it's a reminder of what life and community and the color of a city can be um, in normal times. Definitely. Well, I, I thank my lucky stars. You know, I've been here in London and even just a walk up my main drag around here. It's very colorful, like you say, with lots of stimulation and that keeps you going. Well, I really hope that one day we can meet Martha. I would like that too. Oh, thank you again, Martha, for joining me on A Dog's Life. Thank you. Oh, that's our show, Mr. Binks. What did you think? Yes, it will be great to meet Martha and for us all to go for a walk on Hampstead Heath. I hope very soon. Yes, Mr. Binks, it is time for Woof of the Week. As we've just learned, no one wanted Harry because he came with great challenges, but he brought great rewards. So it just goes to show that you don't always get the dog that you want but you always get the dog that you need. And I hope you all enjoyed it too. If you did, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts so other dog lovers can find us. Thanks to Martha and the links to buy her book are all in the show notes. Thanks also to my patient producer, Mike Hansen and Pod People Productions for all the music and production as always. Follow them at Pod People UK. For more about me, I'm at Anna Webb Dogs, or visit my new website, annaweb.co.uk, where you can book some training sessions, nutrition sessions, read the odd blog, and have a nose around my site. I'll be back in your feed next Sunday, so why don't you subscribe for free now so you never miss another show, or you can catch up on previous episodes that you might have missed. See you next week. Bye for now.